The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. I didn't know what I was witnessing, to be perfectly honest. You know, it was, it was, yeah, I don't think a lot of people knew what they were witnessing, yeah, I mean, even as they were watching the film. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined by jonathan watkins hello hello and barrett share hi we have today we have a very special guest it's writer director chase palmer whose movie a naked singularity comes out in theaters august 8th and on demand august 13th uh chase welcome hi guys uh very happy to be here thanks for having me uh i just want to know how did you get involved with this project um, I, uh, a producer that I've known for an awful long time, uh, named Tony Gans had been developing, uh, naked singularity, uh, you know, from the book for many years, probably like seven years before I, I came aboard. So he approached me with a script that was written by David Matthews and with the book. And I, you know, I first read David's script and, and, you know, I thought he did some, some lovely work and there was something yeah, it got me intrigued enough to go into the book. And the book is a wild beast. It's, you know, it's it's something like 700, 800 pages and is, you know, kind of, kind of reminded me of this David Foster Wallace's uh, Infinite Jest in terms of just sort of all the different kind of literary kind of roots it goes down. But the most uh, intriguing thing about it was, you know, it was written by a public defender named Sergio de la Pava. He is married to a public defender uh, who who works in Brooklyn named Susanna. They've both been doing this for a very long time. And the, what, what struck me was the voice of the book was just amazing. It was funny and absurdist and outraged and wild and philosophical and had these, you know, this sort of genre mashup going on in it and these metaphysical kind of flights of fantasy. There's just so many, so many different elements that he, that were specific to his, his, his sort of entry point uh, to just to show his experience as a public defender. And it wasn't, I don't know, it just seemed like a, a new and fun way to in to explore some of these issues of, of social justice uh, and, the, and, and, you know, the sort of the dysfunction of the criminal justice system from the perspective of, you know, somebody who's lived it every day. Um, so that was, that's sort of, once I read the book, I was hooked and I, and I, and I wanted to go back into the book and do it, you know, do a, do a draft of the script, just really trying to channel the spirit of Sergio's voice and, and the spirit of the book, which is, which is all those things I just described. Tell me what uh, what your casting process is like, because this is one of the uh, this is this cast is is 
just got a lot of appealing people in it. John Boyega, Olivia Cook. It's got uh, Bill Skarsgård. It's got Tim Blake Nelson. It's got Linda Lavin, uh, Ed Skrine. All these guys, are, all these people are amazing. So what was it like? Did you just feel like you hit the jackpot with the with this cast? Uh, yeah, I, no, I, I absolutely did. I mean, I started with John. When, by the time I was finishing writing the script, John was the guy. Like, I really felt like he was Cassie. Um, and... Uh, you know, and so he was the first person we went to and we and we waited um, for him to, to, to finally read. And, and luckily he responded, um, you know, and I think with John, you know, the 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 he's got sort of a, uh, this this sense of integrity, the sense of sort of indignation about the world around him, this kind of quiet gravitas that I've seen in other films, particularly, you know, with Detroit. I thought his work in that was really extraordinary. Um, it was a hard you know, hard movie, hard performance to give because he's he's really reactive the entire time. You can't really act given the situation, but you can sort of see the range of emotions on uh, that he's going through. And you know, I felt like that Cassie was sort of experiencing a version of that. He's he's able to push back more, but um, that performance just you know that and John's sort of public advocacy for social justice felt like it was a nice fit for this character. You know, uh, that he would connect to Cassie, and so mm-hmm. yeah, we started yeah. we started there. Um, and he was the anchor for the rest of it. I don't know what it is about, uh, you know, I'm sitting there watching this is, this movie is an American tale, mm-hmm. but you have three Brits and you have a Swede, uh, who are like, uh, just killing it with American accents and, and, and everything. Why are the, why are these guys so much better at accents than we are? Why, are, <laughs> why, why, why do they do that to us? I, I just don't know. I, I have to say, like, we were not <laughs> expecting to cast three Brits and a Swede. Um, you know, we just kept casting the right, mm-hmm. what we felt were the right folks and then hoped that, um, you know, that the, all these guys are so, you know, they're all so professional and all so prepared. Everybody, were, you know, worked with dialect coaches and came, you know, uh, to the movie ready to ready to go. And, and, and you know, in character and, and, you know, having a mastery of what version of the New York accent they were going to be doing. Um, you know, they're all slightly different. Um, so we just, you know, I, I, they're just, these guys are good at what they do. And, and I just, it, it, yeah, we were trying to cast the, right, the, the, the best actor versus the, the right, um, you know, nationality. And, and we, you know, we, we got lucky. I'm guessing that uh, the uh, casting of Bill Skarsgård is not a coincidence, considering uh, you worked uh, on It, uh, where he worked on he was Pennywise, and you were a screenwriter on It. Uh, or, or was it a coincidence that it happened? No, no, not at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I did not meet, uh, you know, Bill uh, during production. So we, you know, we, I was working with Kerry Fukunaga um, on that draft for a couple of years before Muschietti took over. But uh, you know, uh, you know, our, our, you know. Uh, almost all our work is is in that 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 film and and struggled with making sure that pennywise was a fully realized character and i thought we did uh, as best a job as we could do and then when i saw what bill did with that character it was it, you know i had such respect for it it was amazing like he basically took what was on the page and what we thought was you know strong start on the page and then just brought it to a whole new like place so you know when i having worked inside the machine of that movie and then seeing what he did with it it was a no-brainer that he would that, that i would go to him um for, for this and it was fun to, to to see him cast as you know is that character because we've not really seen him do that before you know he's usually playing more dramatic brooding um kind of characters and and he was you know he was the the devil on john's shoulder in the film right he's he's the, he's almost like the id 
character and, and he's bigger than life and, and you know, gives a, a bounce of your comic screwball energy to every scene. And it was, it was great to see, you know, those guys have chemistry and do their thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is what is what is John Boyega's character going through in this? Uh, he that there's a there's the sort of the mystical part of this movie where he's he's talking with Tim Blake Nelson and he's you know he's uh, they're talking about numbers and things like that. But he's also seeing like sign glitches and things that are going on in the world. That, and uh there's also uh i don't i don't i don't think it's a necessarily a spoiler but i'll i'll avoid uh i'll avoid uh that a little bit when he talks to tim blake nelson at the end there's a revelation that i don't think uh he or anybody anybody in the audience would uh, connect to the singularity that uh uh, that they're talking about in the movie, but uh, what is what is Boyega's character going through in this? Well, he's a you know he's a young idealistic you know public defender who is you know probably believed that he could do more good than he currently is because of the nature of the machine that he's up against. And you know, and so we you know we you know, we see sort of a few instances of of the you know petty injustices to folks who whose lives are are you know irrevocably changed because of really technicalities or you know just sort of the systemic um, you know small fry injustice that 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 happens every day. And I think he I think he thought that he could be a you know, be sort of a wrench in those gears a lot more than he is. You know, like Sergio, the, the, the author always described to me that like when a public defender walks into that building and he's literally the only person in that building that's trying to stop what that building is trying to do. This, that building wants people to go to jail and, and the public defender is the only person in that building that doesn't want them to go to jail. And so, you know, I think he just thought he could be more effective. He is discovering uh, that he you know, that there's not much he can do and it's frustrating. Um, so when we're jumping into the movie, I think he's, you know, he's sort of at this, this crisis point of, you know, there's only so much I can do. Um, and, you know, he's obviously, he keeps kind of pushing it with the judge because he's seeing that, you know, he's, he's trying to do as many workarounds as he can and nothing's quite kind of working. Uh, Lin Linda Lavin um, is, is, you know, obviously just, it's awful, the character she's playing in this but man i love her so much in this i think she's so good in this movie um uh she really brings it i i know that she's been steadily working for a long time so it's 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 not a surprise but uh did i mean this uh, how how good is linda lavin by the way just just <laughs> how good is she She is so good she is so good and and you know that that was sort of the trick with that like casting choice right is you want to you, you know those exchanges between her and and, and john and you know the, the symboline the judge and cassie the lawyer are supposed to be you know there's there there's respect there but there's also you know and there's a there's a little you know we wanted to get the humor too, right? Like she's not just this monster that's wanting to throw people in jail. She's a capable person who's been doing this for 30 or 40 years. And she's seen a gazillion, you know, people who are guilty every day. So she is, you know, she's, she's, she, I think she's, she's acting not, not irrationally. And she also, you know, I just, she just brings a sense of humor and like a, um, like a playfulness to it. You know, that there's, there's a bit of a competition, right? Like I always look at like, um, whenever Cassie went into the courtroom, we talked about it being 
they're like mini heists. Like he's trying to, you know, smuggle out somebody from the vault, right? And she's she's trying to keep them in the vault. And so there's a there's a, there's a bit of competition between them uh, that uh, that you know we're trying to get. And you know because Linda Lavin is so great in this, she's not just some faceless demon. She's she feels like um you know there's the, that she's she's in on the she's in on the the joke. She's in on the the sportsmanship between the two of them. And uh, I just, you know, I love her performance and, and, and you know, nobody else could have done what she did to help make that character, you know, work and make those scenes work. So. Okay. So, uh, so Chase, I don't want to compare this film to other films, but I'm going to. Okay. <laughs> uh, I hope that's okay. Um, because there's so much going on in this <clears throat> that, and, and this is, this is your feature debut, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I shot a couple of short films, but as a director, uh, this is the feature. Well, I, I'm so impressed by this because this I have not read this this book, but this book seems almost very difficult, uh, if not impossible, to adapt to the screen. And I think about a movie like Inherent Vice, and I think about uh, a film like even, you know, well, I mean, not from a book, but like Tenet, Southland Tales, Heist, you know, these, 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 uh, these great directors that have tackled challenging materials. Uh, and I would even say that the, the courtroom scene between um, the, the judge and Cassie, the back and forth with the camera reminded me uh, very much of, of the scene in Whiplash uh, with uh, Damien Chazelle. And, and again, I don't want to compare it because this is a very unique movie, but how much were you influenced by, obviously those are a bunch of contemporary directors, but like how much were you influenced by, uh, you know, uh, classic films or, or contemporary films uh, to inform how you wanted to translate this from the page? Oh, I mean, listen, all those are, are great comps in terms of stuff that I, that I, that I love and would be and am influenced by both in general and I think specifically, you know, for, you know, for, for this, this, you know, this film. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, like I said, the, the, with the influences, right. Like in terms of like comps and figuring out where this movie kind of falls within like, you know, the larger conversation that people are having when they make films, uh, you know, I, 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 you start with like the Sergio voice, like I said, but you're trying to manage, you know, I'm trying to juggle these different tonal kind of, you know, uh, moments in the, in the film, right? You got sort of the, 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 the Sydney Lumet sort of dog day afternoon, you know, like the, mm, the, right. the seventies mm -hmm. New York kind of. And justice for know, all, right? Like uh, just kind of, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And justice for all, all that stuff at the beginning of the film and you have the Elmore Leonard, you know, influenced, you know, sort of petty thieves uh, criminality at the, at the, on the back half of this. And, you know, and, and then in the, you know, and then lace throughout these, these sort of, you know, these ripples, this metaphysical, like flight of fancy stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I kind of knew what movies we had to watch to kind of, you know, get influence for the, the pieces of the film, but it was very hard to come up with something that actually we were, you know, right there kind of no like, it doesn't map uh, onto like anything whole, for sure yeah. <laughs> it's um and i you know and i like you know like southland tales is actually great like i you know i i, I love richard kelly i think he's so 
am, ambitious even when stuff doesn't like fully <laughs> right, gel right, yeah you know and even with this like listen i i knew we were taking a swing on on certain things and i in the movie may not be you know for everybody and it may work on certain levels for some people and not on, on others but i what i but i like taking the swing you know i like trying to kind of bring it all together in this like unique tone um, and as a filmmaker, especially as a first time filmmaker, you just get to play in so many sandboxes your first time out too. You know, I get to like do these courtroom scenes and figure out how to block them and try to make them, you know, our own. And then, you know, this, the, the high stuff. And so, you know, just from a, from a challenging yourself creatively aspect, it was a really fun movie to take on and, and gives you an opportunity to play, you know, in a lot of different, you know, You sandboxes. did. Okay. So um, like, the, the, the... It's a legal drama. I, I wrote this down. It's a legal drama. It's a thriller. It's a heist film. It's a sci-fi film. And it's comedic throughout. I have no idea how you juggled all that stuff. Uh, it, it, how did, did you have any uh, direct influence over the screenplay, the adaptation uh, from the book, especially with your background in screenwriting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I adapted the book and, and turned it into sort of my own voice or whatever the voice mm. of the movie is, you know, now. I mean, I, that was my, I spent a year basically developing it, um, taking, you know, there's, a, like, there's this original draft by David Matthews. Um, you know, there's some, some elements in there that were great kind of starting points, mostly at the, you know, in the front end. And, and then I just went mm. deep into the book and, and brought that stuff in. And you just try to, you know, you write and rewrite to get a tone. Um, you know, there's this great Alexander Payne quote, right, about, you know, tone wasn't built in a day. And it really is this <laughs> constant, you know, it's nice. just, you're constantly fighting, right? You're constantly adding and then pulling stuff back and trying to see how it feels and reads. And that doesn't, that, and that just keeps on happening through the editorial process. You know, I, our editor, Katie McQuarrie, um, who worked with the Cone Brothers for, you know, a big swath of her career, you know, they, they, that she was their assistant on you know on on most of their their stuff in the 2000s and you know they are very good at, at, at mm -hmm. balancing mm -hmm. tone right with with sort of different genres so she was a big you know a big help and a big influence in terms of us trying to find manage all the kind of you know balls in the air and try to find a, a unified tone for this thing which you know the good thing is we knew what we wanted and we knew what we were mm -hmm. shooting for it was just you know a hard thing to 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 try to get right and you still you know like everything, you still, you, you know, we'll see. <laughs> no, that's that's something right. that you don't hear about. People talk about, right? Is the tone of the film. You you hear about the practicalities of shooting and getting the coverage and getting the performances and, and all that. Uh, but it sounds like tone starts from the very first draft all the way through to uh, well pre-production, production, post-production, post editing. You, you don't have it until you have it. <laughs> That's a stupid question, right? But like, you don't have it until you have it. Uh, it's, no, you, it's, you, you, and you, you don't, don't know it until you see it, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think you have it in your head and you have it, you sort of have it in your, you know, you can hear it somewhere in your head, um, but you're still trying to get, you know, match what you hear in your head to the reality of what you're watching, you know? And I think, you know, music plays a big part of it. I mean, I, we, mm. you know, I think originally we started flirting with like doing you know something closer to like the henry mancini sort of influence stuff that like soderbergh nice. did yeah but that didn't work it felt too comedic or too sort of goofy and then you know we're just trying to find like the the balance of like how do you have that comedy in the music 
and the sort of, you know, the, the work a day, you know, he's going to the factory, the criminal factory at, mm -hmm. at the beginning, but at the end, you're sort of dealing with the heist stuff and these like, you know, sci-fi elements that have their own musical kind of chords and how does that all work together? And so that was, that was a big, you know, thing we had to wrestle with and that helps with tone you know, um, very much. And then with the, the actors all have to be on the same page too, you know, tonally. And I think the easy, you know, the easy way that we did it was just basically say, hey, like you all have to, you, each of you take your character seriously. Like you're from, from your character's perspective, like this is dead serious. Like you want something, you, you believe that you are on the right course to get it. And you're all sort of, you know, smart people competing against each other to kind of, you know, further your agenda and, and never play it for comedy or never play it for, you know, the heightened quality. Mm -hmm. um, try to like be your character and take your character seriously. And if everybody's taking their character seriously, then maybe the performances will all feel cohesive, even if we're sort of, you know, swinging wildly in tone from, you know, uh, the, some of the, the early philosophical stuff to the later kind of the spasms of violence right um so yeah you know it's it's a constant conversation but this was so much fun about making movies this is you're having these conversations with all these smart people and you're just all trying to figure it out and hoping you you've come up with something that feels unique and people might enjoy it um is it uh th there was another movie that popped into my head and it's one that you worked on actually uh the movie pie uh came mm -hmm. up in my head when I was watching this because of the Tim Blake Nelson character finding patterns in the world through mathematics and everything. Is that something that's in the book or is that something that, that you added or that David Matthews may have added? No, that was in the book. That was a, and that was not, that was sort of not in the original, you know, the, the original script. It was, it was, there's a lot of philosophy. I would say like, you know, 300 pages of the book is, is, is Dane trying to convince Cassie to go do this heist. Mm. I mean, it is, you know, it's just endless sort of philosophical banter back and forth about the nature of the you know world and the fairness and, you know, the, 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 you know, justification for, for, you know, pulling off this heist. And it's really funny and it's crazy. Um, and so a lot of that, that banter, that philosophical banter ended up, um, you know, being pulled, you know, in both the, the direction of like, you know, the Dane banter that you see, and then also the, the Tim Blake Nelson character. There's also another character in the book, like another lawyer that would come into Cassie's office and talk about the nature of the hmm. universe. And, um, you know, and so there, that got folded into yet another character that was his next door neighbor who was obsessed with pop culture and, and, you know, may or may not have turned like turns into, um, you know, Jackie Gleason of the honeymooners. And it's very strange sort of interaction, but like it was collapsing all these disparate characters who had worthy things to say into, you know, the character of Tim Blake Nelson, basically. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and he's like, yeah, you know, he's trying to, you know, and, and the movie has this sort of metaphoric kind of overarching kind of idea, uh, you know, in the naked singularity. And, you know, I wanted to have somebody in the movie address it, you know, you know, in, in, a, in a way. And so that's, that's what Tim's doing. Uh, you, it's, it says, and I, I, it says on here, I'm sorry to divert to pie. I know that you were, it's list you as additional crew on this, on this credit and everything. Can you tell me a little bit of what that was like? Cause this is Darren Aronofsky's first feature. And, and I know, I think you guys are both Brooklyn based and everything, although you're moving and everything now, but, uh, what was, what was the experience like on that movie? 
I was, I was just out of college. I was only on it as a PA for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, I didn't know what I was witnessing to be perfectly honest. You know, it was, it was, yeah. I don't think a lot of people knew what they were witnessing, yeah, I mean, even as they were watching the film. Right. It's, it's like Maddie Levitic and, and, you know, Aronofsky's like all these amazing guys. And it was in a warehouse in Queens, I believe. And mm-hmm. his mom was catering with Italian food. You know, it was, that sounds delightful. Yeah. I mean, it was very, it was very DIY. And I think as a, you know, is, 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 it was like my first summer out of college and I was trying to figure out how to get into the film business and didn't even know how a set worked. And I didn't understand how, what, I didn't understand what I was sort of seeing and, and how it was going to, you know, where it was going to go. So I, it, the cool thing was I got to be on that set and, and got, it, it was my first taste of seeing what like an indie film set looks like. Um, but that was a very brief experience. It was hard. It's hard being a PA and not working, not getting paid oh, more than 60 hours. Yeah. You're like, you're like, <laughs> no kidding. Awesome. I'm done with this. Um, yeah, it was, so, so it was, a, it was a short lived experience. Didn't really get to know any of those guys, but it was cool. Very cool to be there at that time. And, um, obviously it was, you know, the night that, that time in, in New York city filmmaking, which is why I moved there and have lived there. This is a very New York, uh, film, the naked singularity. It was this filmed, in New York, it seems like there's a lot of, you know, love letters to not only the the glitzy New York that you see, of course, all the time, uh, portrayed in rom coms and stuff. But this is this is the, like the actual New York, uh, the people living by the trains, uh, the view from Jersey looking over onto the the, the shoreline. Right? Uh, what New York is a character in this movie, right? Yeah. I, I, I love the city. This was meant to be a love letter to it. I, you know, I've lived in Brooklyn most of the 27 years I was there. Um, and we shot in New York. We shot in every borough. Uh, wow. We shot wow. you know, on location in the, you know, at 100 Center Street. You know, all the all the courtroom stuff was there. And, you know, I lived in Williamsburg. So, you know, I, I spent many a Saturday walking through, you know, the Hasidic neighborhood next door, which is just very quiet and lovely and, and you know, just been there for years like just wondering about what you know what what could possibly be going on here that, that i'm not seeing <laughs> um you know it, it, like the, you know the solidarity of the community i thought was a really interesting shield to if if there was a nefarious actor that solidarity gives them a cloak you know and i thought that would be interesting to sort of play with i wish we had more time in the movie to sort of you know go into that and clarify with you know that with the those characters but we were moving pretty fast but that was i got to walk the set you know on, on those days and, and so it, shooting in new york was a dream honestly and my you know, our, our my DP, uh, Andrea Parka, who, you know, shot my short films, he's a New York, you know, based DP. And, you know, he just, he just won an Emmy for succession. And he's been in the city for a very long time. Like, you know, we've all been in New York for a long time and wanted to shoot the city that we know. And we sort of had a, you know, we had a, our working kind of motto was, we want to shoot a movie that was like the vinyl record version of a contemporary band. So nice. it was... You know, it was like a retro New York, but it was no. That's perfect. That's art. a perfect encapsulation of of how this film feels. Oh, good, good. And that, you know, it was helpful. It oriented everybody, you know, and it, and it also because that the film is a little weird and wild and has its own tone. We thought that like that slightly heightened version of, you know, the Shaggy Dog New York would would help kind of you know unify it tonally as well because it makes it specific and not you know makes it real but not real to an extent. I did want to talk, though, uh, uh, we hadn't really talked much about Olivia Cook, And, uh, you know, another genre I thought this film messed, played around with was film noir because 
Olivia Cook felt very like Barbara Stanwyck-esque, like with her, uh, you never really knew exactly what was going on and um, the way she was playing everybody and stuff. I just, I thought she was fantastic in this. I don't think I've ever seen her give a performance like this, which was really interesting. Uh, yeah, she's she's a terrific, terrific actress. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mm -hmm. saw her in Thoroughbreds, which is sort of what got mm -hmm. me most, you know, like, like just excited to meet her. And she... She just brought it. I mean, she, the, 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 you know, the nails and the hair extensions, that was her. She really and wanted the to. Accent. Oh, oh, the accent. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the accent was, was all her. And she really built the, the character from, awesome. the, you know, from the ground up. And, um, you know, she, you know, uh, our great costume designer kind of, you know, made her look, you know, fabulous and, and, and strong. And, yeah, I mean, as, as she, she was a femme fatale in the in the way in which you know she was mm -hmm. one step ahead of every other guy in this film um which made which you know i felt made her empowered and made her an awful lot of fun we've been getting you know that i think that the reaction to her character particularly which you know i was on one level you know nervous about because she's you know she's she's still yeah. a criminal <laughs> but we're, we're rooting <laughs> we're rooting for her you know and and she's um she's an extraordinary actress she gives you so many different you know Op options when you're doing takes with her she's always she's always you know on and she's a lovely person and was just super prepared so i'm I, you know her performance is is one of my favorites in the in the film you know and i think she's yeah uh, such you just badass. don't you just don't see characters like <laughs> that anymore that's why that's why i went with stanwick because i, I was trying to think of anybody because even like kathleen turner and body heat who's excellent but she's more just straight up villain you know uh, the layers that you that you and Olivia Cook and her performance, you know, did and everything just it just felt more like yeah, like that classic femme fatale, and it was it was very cool. The other the other thing I did want to ask about, I I noticed the list of producers. There were some interesting names on there. I mean, I know this is Scott Free, so obviously Ridley was involved, but um, I saw Dick uh, Dick Wolf was on there and uh, Ryan Fleck. Um, who I guess most people might know is directing Captain yeah. Marvel, but he also did a Half Nelson and Sugar. Uh, I just I was curious how how much they were involved, or you know, if was that were they attached to earlier, you know, because I know you said this has been development for a while. Yeah, everyone was everyone in different ways. So like you know, so Dick Wolf. I mean, Tony Gans, the the producer who optioned this and developed it. Uh, he he works with Dick, so I think gotcha. I think Dick was involved in so far as he was. You know, supporting the development. I we never had conversations, but he was, to be perfectly honest, they did help us with uh, with like some of the uniforms <laughs> and and stuff uh, with their yeah, connections yeah. to the Law and Order. So you know, we're we're an indie wow, movie. Oh, nice. Any any little thing helps. So they so they you know that relationship it did actually you know really come through in production. Uh, Ryan fucking Abouten I've oh, known cool. for a gazillion years. They also you know a lot of their movies were shot also by Andre. Um, so we've known each other through that, and they were attached they were they were basically attached through that last draft with matthews david matthews and when i came on board they were still intending to direct but very early on they got the captain marvel film and dropped what? off what's at, wrong at with point, them it was just me and and <laughs> I, yeah right i mean you think they could tell marvel <laughs> to wait for god's sake i know i know i know so it was you yeah. know I, I wanted to work with those guys because i really i really like them a lot but it happened so early in the process and it was really i'd sort of come to them with sort of how i would re-break the film you know really sort of leaning on the book and once they left just we all agreed that like 
let me just write the script mm-hmm. and then we'll think about you know filmmakers kind of later and you know and as i was writing it i was writing it for me and when i finished the the, the script you know tony and everybody was very excited about it and you know i asked if i could direct and they they That's were awesome. they were supportive because because we spent a year developing it and i knew the script and you know they they trusted me so it was it was a great it was a you know great experience all around and all those folks you know i had a few early conversations with ryan and anna that you know they're they're, mm-hmm. they're little morsels here and there that certainly their yeah their ideas got scattered in so very cool i was also curious how the casting of kyle mooney happened that's just a that's an interesting choice for you know, the, the, like the infamous Gollum. <laughs> I know. Well, I was trying, you know, I, we we're having fun in the movie I, with, with that sort of outfit, you know, and I kind of wanted to nod to the fact that we yeah. are, we're having a little bit of fun with, with, with that. I wish I had, you know, I wish we had more time and I, I actually wrote this, more scenes with him. Um, it's the nature of production. You sort of, you got what you got, but I, but I, I, um, that's why I did it. I, I really like Kyle. I think he's, super fun and funny and i thought that just i wanted you to yeah. be able to recognize you know one of the guys the golem of, of the group of the golem so you could um you know you could have that attachment right away uh and and go from go from there so god that was per it was perfect <laughs> i guess there's one other uh one other actor i'd like to know about is ed scrine because uh he is he's i haven't seen him in everything that he's in he, he he blew up since deadpool but i haven't seen a lot of the other things that he's been in but the two the, the these couple of things that i've seen him in he has this way of being both evil and charming at the same time and everything what is it like working with ed scrine uh, everybody on set was in love with him Men oh yeah women. i would Guys, be super charismatic mm-hmm. yeah he's so nice super charismatic he's really fun presence on set um very very cool guy and and we had we had fun crafting the, the you know the character i mean you know we were trying to you know do what you just said which was you know he's charming and somewhat seedy at the beginning but there's something you know there's something charismatic and sexy about him but you know as things unfold he obviously he's like that guy in a bar who is really interesting the first hour but at, by hour three and he corners you with all his crazy talk you're like Get me out of here. <laughs> i don't get him and i don't think i'm supposed to get him right i don't get craig like there's never a clear angle. It's always oblique. It, either like you think he's just this, like you said, like a skeezy guy that comes up to Olivia Cook's character at the beginning, and you figure you know this guy, and then after they have their tryst, you figure, oh okay, but then he does something else that you're like, what? And then you know you go with the traditional kind of arc with them. I don't get this character, but I I love that I don't get this character. He's so odd up until the very, very end of the film and of his character arc. And I love the way that you, you and, and, you know, the source material wrote this character and the performance because you just never see him coming. Well, I, 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 I hope that that, that sort of works. I mean, I, I, the one thing that I would, you know, would hope people get a little bit is, you know, out of him is, you know, this, this sort of idea that you know, both he and Craig, or he and Cassie, see this world. You know, see the sort of the injustice and or the sort of you know the inequality of the world. Right. right. And he, you know, he's totally mis- not diagnosed the problem with this crazy right. wizard. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. he's a little like, 
Yeah. And so we, so we were, I mean, honestly, we were talking about, you know, QAnon when we were writing this, like, we we're like, what, what is that person? This somebody, this is just somebody who is, who's like seeing a, a fucked up world, which is we all are seeing. And it's, and it's fair to ask questions about why is it this way? But then there's this just crazy ass, you know, different approach to interpreting it that I wanted him to reflect and, you know, and maybe that would help us sort of grab onto his motives a little bit. And so, you know, that part of it is, you know, was, was something we were interested in exploring I mean, whether people fully get it or not, or they, they just get him as the charming, you know, psychopath, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, that what, explains what it perfectly sort of it. because I don't get yeah. Q people either. So, yeah. so no, that's, that's absolutely, he's the encapsulation of that whole insane movement. So that's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I love him. He, he's, he's fun. And, and like you said, like they, um, he, great actor. I can't, I'd like to see him, you know, play. I think he can do all sorts of, of really interesting, diverse stuff, not just the baddies. So. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Jonathan Barrett, anything else before we close out? Oh man, I could go on all day about this film. This film is so <laughs> wild. Um, geez. Oh, what is the, what? Okay. Can, can I ask you one thing about it? Actually, yeah, one of thing, course. maybe, maybe a couple of things about it. Sure. <laughs> so, so you were involved in the official it, which is it chapter one, correct? This was uh, this was your screenplay. I have to, I mean, it's got to be goddamn insane to adapt not only a Stephen King story, but one of the most beloved, popular properties of the modern era. What had how did that start, and how did that progress to where? Okay, I've got what we need uh, to move forward with this screenplay. Um, I, I, you know, I think the fact that we broke it into two movies. I mean, that's you know, that was our first good choice because um, mm. it gives you just so much more space to make the films. And then you know, you look at once you break the two movies, then you have two genres that are different, right? Like the first one's an Amblin movie because it's sure. kids, and the second one's yeah. like the the big chill. Right, where right. they come yep. together. So just by <laughs> just by doing that allows you more breathing room than sort of going back and forth and doing the whole book. And I think that was like the best, like that got the whole thing started on the right folks. I know before we came in, there was a draft that tried to do everything, you know, and all in one draft. And <laughs> oh, then, Jesus, then, God. you just can't, you just can't do it. Um, so, so once we did that, then it was just like, you know, then we got to write an Amblin movie. I mean, that was all, that was our number one sort of a piece of agenda was like, how do we make this feel like we felt when we were watching, you know, the Goonies and Stand By Me and all that stuff, kids on bikes. And then you happen to have the scary clown and the weird shit in some of the iconic, you know, set pieces that, you know, when you're adapting that book, obviously you're going to have Meebolt Street. You're going to have Bev mm. with the, you know, blood coming out of the sink. You're going to have the face off at the end. And, and obviously the Georgie great, you know, opening, mm. like there's just things that of course you're going to have. And then you, and then I think we just brought a lot of ourselves to the, the banter of the kids. Like that, that's what I'm proudest of about that film is that all the character, like liking the kids and the character work and how we were able to sort of get, you know, get seven characters who most of whom don't even know each other together in a half hour. Um, you know, that, that was a trick, you know, how do you sort yeah. of corral everybody and care about them and stuff like that. And that, that is what I love most about that first movie is just all the kids stuff. Um, you know, and obviously some of the scares are, are, are great, but it's the kids stuff and, you know, and, and what Bill did with Pennywise, that I think makes it, makes that first movie work. You talk about tone. That's the perfect tone. That's, that's the perfect tone for that film. You've got 
so many subtle scares in there along with the the more overt ones uh but the chemistry man that that quarry scene the i mean just just every every interaction with that cast was believable and you know especially Finn Finn Wolfhard and and, and the 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 rest of the kids and Sophia Lillis and and that realistic dialogue thank god it was r rated because that's how oh my kids, god. It, kids it, fucking it talk yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It would have been ridiculous if it, if it was. It wouldn't have felt authentic to what it, we were trying to get get I, done. Yeah, I mean, how it, it's a magic trick how you adapted that. Uh, the book is obviously, you know, a classic, a modern classic, but uh, the way that you adapted that, uh, I think that film is going to be a modern classic. Uh, I've I've mm-hmm. revisited it absolutely many times. I know Jonathan and Chris have too. Uh, it's just it's an, an absolute gem. And I really appreciate how you somehow, you're right, you know, cutting it in half. Usually you get Mockingjay when you cut things in half. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but but this was a good idea. This was a good idea to cut something in half. It's fun. We've, we've now talked to two people who've worked on it. We talked with Aaron Sims, the guy who did the visual effects. Oh, and yeah. we've talked to mm-hmm. a screenwriter on it now. So uh, yeah, maybe we can get the whole collection someday. Uh, but, hey, Chase, uh, can you hook us up with Bill? You, you know bill can he get, get get him on the, the show it's it's all right i'll talk about i think he's the man's busy doing john wick four i guess right now it sounds oh like well God. there you go Who knows, who's, that's awesome i don't know if he's the villain or what his deal is but that'll be fun to see um we'd like to thank uh chase palmer for giving us his time thank you so much for being on the show today thanks guys this is really enjoyable thanks for all the, the questions and letting me talk about the weird wild movie we all we all watch yeah. it's so much fun i, I yeah. really i i have not seen a movie like this i i mentioned the comparisons but i've never seen a movie like this and i i really appreciate swinging for the fences man i very much enjoyed it oh man well thanks guys i really really appreciate it and and thanks for for having me on it's fun to talk the the movie's naked singularity it comes out in theaters august 8th on demand august 13th that's going to do it for this interview it's chris atkins and jonathan watkins and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com